0: You're listening to Season 2 of the Where Did You See God Podcast, where my family and I are sharing our experience doing a family DTS, which is Discipleship Training School through YWAM Kona. If you're curious what that is, you can look it up in the description of this episode. But God is doing amazing and challenging things. This episode may be one that could scare some of you off, because it is about spiritual warfare. Depending on your upbringing, your spiritual background, Those words can evoke many things in you. But here's what we want to say. This is not an episode to be afraid of, but an episode to be inspired by, an episode to equip you to know the power that is at work within you. Spiritual warfare is not a scary thing when you know that the enemy has already lost. And so we spend some time diving into not just what we learned, but how God had us practice what we were learning in the midst of it. No matter what your experience is with that phrase, spiritual warfare, I encourage you to see what God may say through this episode for you in the situations that you are in. You are listening to episode 36 of the Where Did You See God podcast. God, again, we just thank you that you are God, and you are good, and just for the privilege to be able to sit and process spiritual warfare, and we just acknowledge right now we're tired, Uh, our minds are just kind of packed, or just tired with so many things, and and the thought of sitting down and recording, uh, is difficult, but we also know um, this is something that you are nudging us to do, we know that there is power, and just digging into this topic of spiritual warfare. And so we pray against anything that would keep us from sharing now. We pray that the Holy Spirit would just fill our minds and hearts and and bring to the surface the things that really uh, captured us, challenged us, encouraged us. Anything we need to say in this time, uh, we pray that you would bring our voices out to say it. And not just so that it's a good episode. Um, we want this for your glory and for just the building up of the body through the words that you bring. The enemy would just be silenced uh, and that you would be honored and glorified because you are powerful and you are already victorious. On Supreme, his holy and precious name. Amen. So last week, week eight was a hefty week spiritual warfare. And before we go any further, uh, we both felt it was really important to, to pause and just address that term itself, spiritual warfare. It's the kind of thing that depending on your faith tradition, depending on the denomination you grew up in, depending on what you believe could be um, a very comfortable thing that you've spent time thinking through. Uh, but for many people, it's not. Many people, that term spiritual warfare is a frightening one, a confusing one, an uncomfortable one. I grew up most of my young life in a Presbyterian church, and we didn't talk about spiritual warfare all that much. And so as I've spent time with that idea that there is spiritual warfare happening, you know, it took a while for me to understand what that meant and to be comfortable engaging it. What we experienced last week was not what some might expect when they hear spiritual warfare. Somebody yelling into the microphone, slapping their hand on your head and that that's not what we're talking about in fact what we experienced last week was very natural, very accessible, very real, very powerful and very transformational for us.
1: One thing that is like important to remember when we're talking about spiritual warfare is that if you believe that there is a good god who loves us and who does not want any evil in this world then you also have to believe that there is a spiritual presence of evil that is like independent from God and obviously like we call this force Satan it's so so I think that is an important thing to believe that there is like an enemy out there um and that he desires to steal, kill and destroy. He is the accuser and he does attack us. Um and and so I think even sometimes I know for me, there's sometimes been a resistance if someone's like, oh, it's a spiritual attack. And I'm like, really, though, is it? Or is it just like, you know, just some natural things going on? And we'll talk a little bit about that, too. But I do think this week has opened my eyes a little bit more to what is is a spiritual attack. And, and, and when you know that, you kind of know how to come at it. Um, but I think another thing to remember is it's not a fair fight, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, And I'm really, that's what this week was about. It's like, God has already won the battle. Like Satan is not the opposite of God. He is not nearly as powerful as God is. He's a fallen angel who was, you know, angels are messengers of God and he's lost the battle. You know, God's already been victorious through, through Jesus's death and resurrection. And A lot of this week was just like remembering who we are as gods and so our identity and then the authority and power that comes from that identity because God has authority and power Mm -hmm. and tapping into that authority and power in any situation, not just like, you know, something that is clearly like demonically spiritual or, but even just like in, you know, taking our thoughts captive or, Mm -hmm. you know, um... Yeah, something as simple as that.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can look at Scripture and see examples of you know whatever whatever you want to call it, Satan, the enemy, evil. You can see examples of how that impacted humanity, how it impacted individuals. And there's a verse, Ephesians six twelve, that says, "For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms." And this is the passage that goes along with putting on the full armor of God. Now, again, like for some of you, some of these things that we're saying can be really uncomfortable. You know, the term fallen angel or spiritual forces, heavenly realms. And so I think, again, a simple way to put it, like Becca was saying, is that God is already one. That there is uh, this negative force, but it is no match for God. The way that Christoph, the speaker, put it is it's like an ant going up against a hydrogen bomb. I mean, there's just no competition and no match. But this, this is the sneaky thing about the enemy is he's a deceiver. We get tricked into thinking that he is more powerful than he actually is. We get tricked into thinking that we are weaker than God has actually made us. And so a big part of this week was was just naming that, that God is powerful and loving. He is God. He is good. And that there is a power at work within us. And the things that constantly trip us up, harm us, trick us, don't have to have that power over us.
1: One tool that he kind of gave us was something he called the unholy trinity. So if you're like dealing with something that it's either a, a result of your flesh a result of the world and like kind of the cultural current or a result of spiritual forces. So like first you start in the flesh, which is like the battle from within. And he kind of talked about like our flesh dog versus our spirit dogs. Like we can decide if we are going to feed or starve either like our our flesh man or our spirit man. And then the world is just like the dominant culture. And so sometimes when things are coming up, it's a result of that. And then obviously spiritual forces is more like specific mm. um, attacks. And obviously like I think the enemy is in, you know, the flesh, the things of the flesh that draws us astray, is in the things of the world that draws us astray because our flesh wouldn't be fallen if it weren't for sin. You know, mm. the world wouldn't be fallen if it weren't for sin, but – Um, I think that that's kind of helpful to kind of start at those things.
0: Yeah. And and one thing he said that was helpful is he's of the mindset kind of like what Becca mentioned at the start that he doesn't feel like that every single thing that happens is a demonic force attacking him. But what he did say is even though not everything might be that everything can be spiritual warfare because warfare is basically just that battle between good and evil between whether we are seeking God or seeking something else. We have ways of operating that it really doesn't take much for us to really succumb to fear or to succumb to anger or to succumb to greed. It doesn't take much of a push unless we're being very aware that there's a lot of stuff in this world that's trying to keep us from seeking God. Um, I really do like that analogy, too, that Becca mentioned about the dogs. They talked about imagine you have these two just angry, vicious dogs in a room that are fighting each other. The one that you feed is the one that's going to be strong enough to win. And so are we doing things to feed this, you know, this sin dog, this dog that is not seeking God is, you know, by the things that we watch, that we listen to, that we're doing, or are we feeding the other dog, the spirit dog? Are we spending time in prayer? Are we spending time looking at God's word? Are we spending time just trying to seek him? But the hard thing is, is that both dogs just keep on fighting. And even if you starved the one dog, if you throw him a steak, he's back in the ring. And so it's this constant awareness of every day, um, it's not just a neutral day, every day we need to choose if on this day I'm going to seek God and I'm going to walk towards God.
1: One of the first things that our speaker just like talked about and kind of like our spiritual weapons, um, well, first he said like the name of Jesus is just really powerful and carries a lot of power with it, which is like super simple but also super true. The other tool that he focused on was just like the gospel Mm -hmm. and the message of the gospel. So I don't know if you're familiar with this tool called the five five finger gospel, but it's one of many ways to tell the gospel where um, you kind of use your fingers. And so your thumb, like a green thumb is talking about the garden, how God created the world good. And then your index finger, which is often used to like wag shame shamefully at somebody is like shame on us we sin we we chose to turn away from God and then the middle finger which is also kind of like an offensive finger is like and because we chose to turn away from God you know that's called sin Um, sin is anything that separates us from God and the penalty of sin is death is separation from God that's what death is The fourth finger, you know, that's normally the finger we put a ring on. And when someone does that, they make a promise to love the other person. And so uh, God sent his only son, Jesus. Jesus promised to us that even though we um, had turned our backs on him, that he desires to love us no matter what, Um, which is why he died um, a terrible, terrible sinner's death, though he was perfect. Um, He died on a cross to take the punishment and the penalty for our sins for all time. And when he died, our sins died with him. He did not stay dead in a miraculous turn of events. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And when he did that, he defeated death and hell and the grave. Kind of going into the pinky finger now, which is also like a symbolism of promise, like a pinky promise. Like we now have a choice to make. And like when we receive that gift, we are also brought back to life. Our old, our old self, our flesh self, has died with Christ, and um, we are raised to new life again. And God gives us His Holy Spirit um, to live inside of us, which is kind of what we're talking about when we say the spirit man or the spirit dog. And just uh, we did a lot of practice with this gospel, and I think like we even had some act some time where we just. Like ask the Holy Spirit to make this fresh. Like for those of us who have been believers, like this is like, yes, Christ died for my sins and he came back to life. And it doesn't have the same type of meaning it did when we first chose to follow the Lord. And that can really have an impact when we're trying to tell others about Jesus. And so we spent some time, you know, doing that. And I think the the big takeaway from that is as believers, we get our identity you know, from, from the father and from Jesus and our identity is directly connected to our authority. And so like, if you think about a police officer's badge and you think about his gun, like his badge is his authority. It's what says I am who I say I am. Mm -hmm. And so we get our authority from the identity that God gives us to say like, no, you are my sons and daughters because of um, in the same way Jesus was my son. And then if you think about um, a, a police officer's gun, that is his power. That's his ability to enforce his authority. Like when you think about our power, like that's kind of connected to our obedience. But often we kind of get it backwards, right? Like we we don't start with identity and then identity leads us to obey the Lord because we know who we are. So we act out of knowing who we are. No, instead we, um, even though we're, you know, even Christians forget the The true meaning of the gospel, and we say, "Well, we're gonna obey first out of our own strength in order to earn our identity," and and we get it backwards. And um, the enemy knows we have this authority, and so if authority is directly connected to our identity, well, the enemy's gonna want to take out our identity. And so it was really important to just like focus on what the gospel says, mm-hmm. who God says we are. and and who God is.
0: Yeah. I mean, because we are created in the image of God and so because of that, there is a power that is built into how we are designed, ways that we're able to think, ways that we're able to act and identity is so important because one, the enemy can make us doubt things about our identity and make us believe that we don't have power and authority. That's one thing or the enemy can make us uh, misuse our, our authority and power. I mean, You know, that analogy of the badge and the gun, you know, there are people that might listen to us that that could be an uncomfortable analogy because they've been wrestling with the dialogue around police shootings in in our nation. That's something we had a short conversation with uh, our outreach team who are from Norway about because they've heard news reports and they've been very confused and concerned about uh, guns in America and police officers in America. And I've known police officers, I've known many amazing police officers, and also I've seen the news reports about police officers who didn't understand their authority and power, and it ended up being misused. And so in the same way, we have been given this authority and power that is ours to either rightly access, to neglect, or to misuse. You know, another picture of that is if you've seen Moana, Uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Moana, I'm about to give it away you you hear about Tafiti who is this just beautiful representation of the island and of nature and of creation uh, whose heart was stolen and then Taka is this evil being that lives in the ocean is just fiery and stone and you have uh, Moana trying to return the heart of Tafiti when she gets there Tafiti's gone and then she has this realization as she turns around and sees Taka she realizes wait a minute Takah isn't this separate evil being. Takah is actually Tafiti, who has forgotten who she is, and it's Becca's favorite part. Do you want to just say what happens next, since it's your favorite part?
1: Moana sings a song, and she's like, "They they have stolen the heart from inside you. I know your name. I know who you truly are." And she, um, you know, restores the heart mm-hmm. to to, to Takah, who then turns back into Tafiti.
0: Yeah, and that's part of what the spiritual warfare does is the enemy wants us to believe that we're takah. The enemy wants us to believe that there's nothing good in us. The enemy wants us to cause harm. The enemy wants us to respond out of our anger or our fear. But God has created us to be beautiful, to create, to bring life. And when we know our identity and when we're able to recognize the lies, we can operate in truth. Two ways that we learned we can do that. One is to put a name to uh the lies and so if if someone really struggles with control they might uh name and say all right that's the control monkey that sits on my shoulder and anytime the other person notices that that control monkey is starting to do its thing they might say hey the control monkey's picking at your head right now right like
1: and there's also some if you listen to our episode on strongholds like there's also some Stuff you can do to like work mm-hmm. through that stronghold as well. Yeah. But like often that that will sometimes even if you've worked through something or prayed through something like it will sometimes resurface mm-hmm. like the enemy likes to kind of bring that back up and oh are you sure you've gotten freedom from that and to be able to name it. So for me the weekend before this teaching I was having a lot of one of the problems I have is um a lot of critical thoughts and um I've noticed it. Really, in a in a lot of different areas, but particularly toward my husband and um, I. We we affectionately called it the ugly baby, <laughs> because to me, critical folks are judging. And if you've seen Friends, there's this episode, and Rachel says to Ross because uh, they're they're looking at pictures of babies, and they think one of them's ugly, and it looks like it's judging them. And she says, "Ugly baby judges you." <laughs> and so to call it affectionately or you know unaffectionately, ugly baby. And and that way you can just kind of name it like, yeah, Ooh. this is what's going on right now. The ugly baby's coming out. Yeah. Um, and actually, funnily enough, since we've done that, I don't think I've had as much issue with that. Um, but it has
0: given me uh, a safe tool to use instead yeah. of saying, Becca, you're being critical. Right. I can say, Becca, is there an ugly baby coming at us?
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: it it also kind of softens. It brings levity to the moment. Um, and then Becca can be like, no, no, we're good. Or be like, ah, all right. You know what I mean? It kind of, kind of draws our attention to what's true.
1: Yeah. Well, speaking of like our own personal experiences, I feel like we wanted to share one.
0: Yeah. And leading into that, I'll say the second thing we learned is operating in the opposite spirit. So if the enemy is trying to do one thing, we can do the other. If the enemy is trying to make you fear, you can act in boldness If the enemy is trying to bring disunity, you can bring unity. So Becca mentioned last week, and we're not going to talk about it now, but she can pull us aside later. One of the tools that a Christian couple can use is sex because the enemy wants to create disunity and, and sex is a form of unity. Obviously, there's a lot more to unpack there, yeah. <laughs> but it's this idea of when we see the enemy at work, we can do the opposite thing. Yeah. And so we recognized ways the enemy was working in our marriage and we decided to do the
1: opposite. Yeah. And I, I, I will say like some really powerful stuff happened last week. We did, you know, we did an episode on just some of the prayer around finances and some of the the financial provision that was given and the leadership's role in that and, and the other really powerful area that they kind of exposed was like this area of sex that like a lot of people in the church just don't talk about. And Mm -hmm. we did talk about like another spiritual weapon is, is sex. And um, I feel like that could be a whole other episode. So We won't really dive into that, but we're just really appreciative of like that. We even broke into like guys and girls and really the honest conversations that we were having about struggles and um, joys and, you know, what are the myths and what are the truths and what does God, who created sex, by the way, um, like think Mm. about, um, like what is yeah, what are the truths about it? And so that was, yeah, definitely some amazing things happening last week as well. Yeah.
0: So we were processing through a lot of things. We were taking some things to God, both in, in all the realms and including finances and felt like God was kind of, moving some things in some positive directions in our marriage and, you know, getting us some small moments of breakthrough and encouragement and hope. And we realized that in order to keep on moving in that trajectory, we needed to take some thoughts captive and we needed to claim some truths and we needed to have things in place to help us to continue to do that. And so one thing that we decided to do and operating the opposite spirit is knowing that the enemy likes to make us accuse each other or blame each other or think the other person is the issue. We're like, what could it look like if for just a week we made the decision to not blame the other person for anything? Um, Definitely for things they didn't even do wrong. But even if they did something wrong, instead of loving blame, what if we extended grace, we assumed positive intent, um, we sought to love the other? So what could it look like to instead of blaming the other person to actively love, even if it was hard, what could it look like to do that for a week? And, you know, then you know we see this financial breakthrough. We're feeling great. That was Wednesday. We get into Thursday. There is a point during the day that I shared with Becca that I was um, talking with a group of uh, classmates about this, you know, thing that we were trying because another classmate was working through some things in his marriage, and I was telling her about, it and she's like, "Oh man, yeah, you know, I've." I had forgotten about it because I didn't feel like I've really had to practice it. I mean, things have been good. And then Thursday evening hit and it just came out of nowhere and brought us both to a place where in different ways, we ended up not keeping that promise to each other. We ended up falling into these beliefs about the other that we ended up accusing each other. We ended up feeling like the other person was hurting you know, us. It 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 was just this very difficult place that was such a stark contrast to where we were just a few hours earlier in this hope and this excitement that we had, that it just felt painful and broken and scary and hopeless. And it was a hard evening into the morning. That morning, Friday, is our class worship time. And we just stepped out the room and just kind of named it for what it was. We, we recognized how we had seen God working in our marriage prior that week, the way, the ways that he was bringing breakthrough. And we're like, we're not, we're not going to let the enemy just steal this from us. And one of the realizations we had is that, you know, our commitment for that week wasn't and shouldn't have been to not put blame on the other person, but rather, uh, and this is where we landed is it. It's not about not blaming. It's about putting the blame where it rightly belongs, which is on the enemy. Because it wasn't that she was accusing me or I was accusing her. It was that the enemy was bringing these accusations into our marriage. And we realized that the way that we could operate in the opposite spirit is instead of accusing each other, that we could accuse the enemy and that we can draw closer to each other. That we could, instead of letting him disunify us, stay connected, choose to pray together, choose to encourage each other, choose to affirm each other, to operate in unity because we are stronger together than we are apart. And that's what the enemy doesn't want us to believe.
1: Yeah, and I think for me, there there was another instance having to do with one of our kids where I could easily pinpoint like, oh, I think this is an attack here. And it was really encouraging though to see like, I kind of caught it because because we could feel such a difference of, of how we had been feeling lately and how we had been thinking and and kind of returning to some old patterns of thinking that I was kind of in before coming here. Whereas before, I kind of just like, it's kind of know that maybe it's not the most healthiest, but you're just like, whatever, it's kind of become the norm. Um, but now it's like, oh, I know what it is to like, operate in a healthier way to like refute these lies to be free from them you know there's verses about this like th- like tasted the goodness of mm-hmm. what that is and i don't want to go back yeah to like operating in this unhealthy way um it still takes like it's not like super easy you kind of have to be like okay i'm making the decision that even though i feel like maybe i'm justified and how i feel you know mm-hmm. or particularly with our child like child is like making some really bad choices and you know it would be really kind of easy to blame them and um not to say they have like absolutely no control they they do but to instead say like no i think right now there's some things that they're being attacked on right now and because of that like we're going to we're going to deal with this differently
0: yeah and this is one of the tricky things about spiritual warfare is it doesn't always make sense with our logic sometimes we are justified in our offense Mm -hmm. and we don't want the person to do the things that they're doing we don't feel like it's right that they're doing the things that they're doing but what is important for us to realize is the bigger picture of you know in a couple in a marriage being unified and anything that is bringing disunity is not okay and we have to fight against it one of the things that she shared that one of the founders of YWAM Darling Cunningham shared one time is you know they, they she was being asked how she stayed in ministry as long as she has and she said that she, the reason she's been able to keep that flame is that she's sought to to not be offended she said the quickest stealer of that flame is offense uh, and then later you know this speaker Shannon she ended up saying that Your offense can be justified, and it can still totally be sin. And this is basically what she means is that at the end of the day, when we're talking about a couple that God is calling to be unified and that the enemy is trying to bring disunity to, if that offense is the thing that is bringing that separation and we are trying to protect our understanding of that offense, then we're missing the greater call to unity. Does that make it easy? No. (laughs) It's actually very hard. But it's it's less like giving somebody a pass and more choosing to walk in faith and obedience towards the love that God's called us to. So operating in the opposite spirit is a really easy way, I feel like, to practice this. Um, this podcast episode is an example of that because neither of us felt like we were in the place to do it, but we knew that it was important. And so instead of putting it off, We said, let's pray and let's get in. And you've probably heard like our (laughs) tone and energy has increased as the episode has gone. And we could easily keep on going, but we won't. Um, But we do want to encourage you, no matter what your understanding of spiritual warfare is, your comfort level, we want you to know a few things. One, God loves you and he created you. You know, go back and listen to that five finger thing that Becca shared that God has a trajectory for your life of promise and of hope. And he desires that for you. He wants you to know him and be in relationship, but the enemy does not. The enemy wants you to believe that you are unwanted and unloved and that you have no power and that you have no hope. But the enemy is a liar. He is a thief. He, he just he seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. That's all he wants to do, and he does not fight fair. But he's not all that clever and he is weak. Like He is no match for God. He is that ant against a hydrogen bomb and so when we recognize that the enemy actually doesn't have power over us, that we don't have to have a spirit of fear, we, we can begin to walk in the confidence of what God can do through us and see transformation in our life, see victory in our life. God can do powerful things when we trust him and walk in obedience you will walk, you will run, dance through the streets shouting praise. To- hope is is that you've come away from this realizing three things one that god is powerful two that as a child of god he is giving you access to that power and three that the enemy is a liar that he is already lost but he is going to try to convince you that he is more powerful than he is or he's going to convince you that you are worth less than you are or that God is not who he says he is, or that you need to disconnect with others. And instead of sharing a lot myself, I'm just going to share some verses I came across. James 4.7, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 1 John 4.4, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. 2 Corinthians 103 5 For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. 1 Peter 5, 8-9 Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. And I could go on and on and on, but the reality is, is that God has given you a power to stand firm against the enemy, to resist him, and he will flee from you. And here's the thing. Maybe you're getting to a place where the term spiritual warfare isn't as frightening But what is frightening is the responsibility you feel now to be able to catch it and to stop it. That can be a daunting feeling. But one thing that encouraged me is a picture that popped in my mind when we were praying towards the end of the spiritual warfare week. As we prayed, I saw our house. And we have this floodlight that is on the side of the house that has a motion sensor. And so anytime anything walks by it, a person, a cat, the light comes on. And throughout the night, sometimes I will look out and see the light pop on and I will go to the window and look out to make sure that it's not a person. Now, our fear as we learn about spiritual warfare is that we have to be the one to be responsible to always have that light ready to turn on. But the gift that God has given us is is almost like a spiritual floodlight. But the more we try to understand who God is and who he's created us to be and the more we try to understand the tricks and lies of the enemy and how to stand against them, the more we develop the spiritual floodlight that will come on the moment the enemy is trying to sneak in. My wife and I experienced it. In the moments that we began to have some tension, there were moments where it was like a light came on and we suddenly stepped back and said, whoa, 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 wait a minute there's something else going on here. Just as somebody coming to rob my house is gonna get caught by that light and either run away or I'm gonna to come to the window and see them, the more we draw towards God and become aware of the enemy, the more that light is gonna come on the moment that he approaches us. And he's either gonna flee or he's gonna to have to deal with us standing and seeing him and calling him out. So seek God, draw near to him, Let him hone and develop that spiritual floodlight. Know that God is God and God is good. Know that you have been created as his child to have access to that power within you. And know that the enemy is a liar and he's going to try to make you doubt yourself, doubt God, or doubt those around you. Come against all of that with the opposite spirit. Affirm who God is. Affirm who he's created you to be and stay unified just as so much of the New Testament calls us to. And each day be ready to go to battle, not fearful that you will fail, but victorious because God has already won. And get excited about the ways that you're gonna see God work in your life, no matter what the enemy tries to throw against you. There are moments that's gonna be hard, but God is God and God is good. So as you go through the day suited up with that Ephesians 6, full armor of God, watching the enemy flee before you, Ask yourself, where did you see God? Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash where did you see God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?